This is the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Some people love him. I'm one of them. He's one of my favorite uh, people that have written what we now call Scripture. And some people really struggle with Paul because he can come across as kind of arrogant. He says things like, hey, uh, if you want to know what Jesus was like, watch me. And that can come across as a little bit on the arrogant side, but really that's how we ought to be living our lives anyway in that, in that type of way. So I like it. And some people struggle with Paul because we preachers have taken his words over time and done harm to people with them. And one of the best sermons that I have ever heard was preached while I was in seminary by a classmate of mine, and her sermon was just a letter to Paul saying, hey, if you knew what we were going to do with your words, would you have still written them? And um, it was such a liberating and life-giving sermon for me to hear. But Paul kind of reminds me, in some ways, of my high school geometry teacher. He um, was also a basketball coach, and when I was a sophomore in high school, I was in geometry, which is where you were supposed to be. I wasn't, like, advanced, and I wasn't, like, too far behind. I was kind of right where you were supposed to be in that groove when it came to math. But um, Mr. Hewitt was his name. He uh, had high expectations of me, and I had a C in his class. And so Mr. Hewitt decided, uh, you know, if you got a D, they would fill out a deficiency form and send it home to your parents, but a C wasn't worth a deficiency, except to him, it was worth a phone call to my mom, apparently. And so what he did one day, I was in class, and a couple of my buddies were in there, and then there were some really pretty girls sitting around me, and I was more interested in the girls and my buddies than what Mr. Hewitt was saying, and so he said, hey, Ross, um, I'm calling your mom today, and this is what I'm going to tell her. I'm going to tell her that you have a C and you should have an A. And the reason that you have a C is because you're lazy. And because you're more interested in the pretty girls around you and your buddies in front of you than you are in learning. And so uh, I have a feeling that your mom's not going to be real happy with you when you get home. And I it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. I thought, yeah, that's a threat. Teachers used to do that all the time. Like, ah, we're going to call them and so they would forget or whatever, luckily. And so I get home from practice that night, and I sit down, and my mom goes, Hey, I got a phone call today. And I said, Oh, yeah, from who? And she goes, Mr. Hewitt. And I was like, Oh, man, here we go. And she goes, Do you know what he said? No. He said, You're lazy. And that you're more interested in the pretty girls around you and your buddies than what he has to teach, and that you have a C, and you should have an A. And so do we. So get busy. Quit being lazy. That's Paul. Paul just kind of lays it out there and tells it how it is. Last week, um, I, I told you that I'm going to spend the next few weeks talking a little bit about uh, things that you're going to hear me say a lot. So last week I said, you're going to hear me say a lot, participation over perfection. So I'm going to come to you and ask you to volunteer to do something, and you're going to say, yeah, I don't know, I'm not very good at that. And I'm going to say, nope, participation over perfection. And remember, I told you the definition of perfection by telling you a story of a little girl who was giving her dad a big glass of water, but her fingers were dirty, and she got the water all muddy and dirty anyway, and she took, he took a big old drink, and then he looked at his daughter and said, that's perfect. And I was telling you that story to help you understand that God is more concerned about our intentions than the perfection of our actions. It's what's happening in our heart that God is most concerned with. So we have nothing to fear. I'm going to read to you now another passage that is life-giving, literally a life-giving passage from Romans chapter 6. It'll be on the screens if you want to follow along. I think there are Bibles around also, but what I would encourage you not to do is what Stuart was doing earlier. He was reaching in his pocket to pull out his phone Bible. 
Here's why I would encourage you not to do that. This is set aside time. And in a few months, fantasy football is going to start, right? Anybody play? Any nerds? Any fellow nerds? And what happens to me inevitably is I get my phone out to read scripture on my phone and all of a sudden I get an update that my fantasy football team scored or the other team's beating me. And it's like, oh my gosh. And then I can't focus on the thing I'm supposed to be focusing on. So let's set this side of time, time aside. So turn off all those notifications when you walk into church if you want to use your Bible on your phone. Otherwise, just trust us to have it up there or bring your own. Romans 6, 1 through 14. Now I'm sounding like a total jerk or something. Sorry to call you out twice. It's okay, I'm used to it. Okay. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like this, we will certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin, once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. So last week was participation over perfection. This week is practice resurrection. You're going to hear me say that a lot over the next 10, 12, 15, 20 years, I hope. Practice resurrection. Here's how that works. So we had a confession earlier. And that was confessing the death that we have brought into the world. And then we had a recognition of pardon of our sins, and that's confessing the resurrection that we experienced. Because here's the thing, oftentimes in our lives, of Christian, Christian life anyway, we think of Easter and the resurrection as a one-time thing. Like it's the thing that we remember once a year, maybe twice a year, if we happen to read a resurrection text at some point or another. But the reality is, we are people of the resurrection. That's who we are. That's one of the things that separates us from everybody else on the planet of a different religion or creed is that we actually believe in resurrection. And we believe in physical resurrection of the dead at the end of time, but we also believe in every moment can be a resurrection moment. 
Every single moment is a resurrection moment. We have the choice in every moment to bring death or to bring resurrection. We have every opportunity to bring life into a situation or to add hopelessness to a situation. But we are people of the resurrection. So we have no fear. There's no reason to not participate. Because there's nothing to fear because we believe in resurrection. We believe in forgiveness. We believe in hope. We believe in grace. Sufficient for every moment is one of the creeds or or statements of faith that we say. When uh, Dave Bazan, who's a musician that uh, used to be part of another band that was a Christian band, and then he lost his faith or gave up his faith, started going on tour as as a solo artist, what he does is he'll go from town to town to town and play in clubs with a band, but in between cities he'll have individual shows in people's houses. And he has one particular album that I love that's his breakup album with God. And the reason I love it is because the honesty of it. And, and you can hear his struggles of faith, which I actually believe he still has faith. He just doesn't know how to practice resurrection. But we found out, Michelle and I did one time, that he was looking for a house in Abilene when we lived there to play a show in. And so I contacted the website that you propose he comes to your house to play in and said, hey, we'd love to have you come play at our house. You had to send pictures in. You had to say how many people you could fit in your living room if there was enough parking around. And so I think we said we could fit like 40 people in our living room if we moved all the furniture out and that sort of thing. And we thought, like, it's going to be really crowded, but there are probably going to be 15 or 20 people anyway. (laughs) Well, we found out that our living room could fit around 60 people. (laughs) Hippies (laughs) from Austin came to our house. People drove from Waco and Houston to our house. People drove from El Paso to our house. People came down from Wichita Falls to our house. Weirdos. People we had never met before and were strange and they're bringing their dogs into our house and filling our fridge up with their, with their beer. And that, that was okay because some of them left it. And, and so that's, they came to our house. And at the end of the concert, there are a bunch of people just hanging out like saying man, this is a cool venue. They have shows here a lot. And I'm like, no, see the pictures on the wall? That's me. Like, this is where we live. And so I was standing near to Dave Bazan, kind of like thinking he's going to go sometime and these people are going to go. And this guy comes up to him who says, hey, I bought this poster from you. Will you just write some words of wisdom on it? Which is a weird request. Like, if you came up to me and said... Tell me something wise. I don't. I have no idea what I would say on the spot, right? And I hope you wouldn't either because you're probably not that wise. And neither am I, and that's just the truth. But he looks down at this poster, grabs the Sharpie and sits for a second, and then scribbles something on there and hands it to him, and I read the words, Lift high your mistakes. And I thought, that's resurrection. Lift high your mistakes. Because we have nothing to fear. People of the resurrection, people of grace, we have nothing to fear. Have you ever heard the sermon illustration about offering forgiveness to someone? And it typically goes like this. 
the preacher or children's minister or youth pastor or Sunday school teacher, whoever it is, will have like a bag that they're carrying or a backpack. And it's really weighted down, you can tell. And they're carrying it and they, they'll really over-exaggerate like how heavy it is. And then they'll take it off and they'll open it up and they start to pull out rocks, big giant rocks. And on one rock we'll have like, someone lied to me. And they place it down and they'll pull another one out and it'll say, someone whatever. And it's all these things that have happened. And as they take them out, they're talking about how they can forgive people of these things. And then it's light and they can put it on and they're not burdened by the by the grudges that they're holding. That's practicing resurrection. But so is taking a stone out and saying, this is something that I did that was wrong. This is a way that I harmed someone. This is someone that I forgot that I should have remembered. Because I don't know about you, I hold grudges against myself sometimes. I have high expectations for myself. And when I don't live up to those expectations, I carry that around as a burden. And I hold it against myself. But people of the resurrection have no fear in saying, Hey, Stuart, I really screwed up when I said this thing to you, and I hope you'll forgive me. Because I know Stuart's a person of resurrection, and I know that he's going to offer me hope and forgiveness at some point, maybe not immediately, but at some point. But it's a scary, scary thing to confess. But without recognizing death, there can be no resurrection. Ask anyone who's part of one of the anonymous recovery groups if they'll let you know they're part of the anonymous recovery group. <laughs> they will tell you it was when I admitted that I'm an alcoholic. It's when I admitted, admitted that I'm addicted to narcotics. It's when I admitted that I'm addicted to pornography. It's when I admitted that I have a problem, an eating disorder. It's when I admit those things that then I can find life and hope and recovery, right? Death and resurrection go hand in hand. But if we try to practice resurrection and ignore the death, we can't have this thing. But Paul writes this. For whoever has died is freed from sin. That's kind of obvious, right? Like, if you're dead, you can't sin. Dead men tell no lies. Dead men tell no tales. Have you heard that saying? But, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Paul is talking about now. He's not talking about afterlife kind of things. We live with the resurrected Christ in our lives and in our midst. Therefore, we are people of resurrection. Confession, forgiveness, darkness, light, death, resurrection. Every moment we have the opportunity to bring one or the other. So, I'm talking a lot about confession and forgiveness and that's just one way that we can offer resurrection and bring more resurrection. But if you le read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus is practicing resurrection throughout his life. Ask the demoniac. Do you know that story? There's this guy 
who's chained up in a cave and he's like filled with demons or whatever we would call them in our time. And he's scary. He's a scary, mean person. And nobody wants to go near him. And Jesus goes out there and casts the demons out and frees this guy. Nobody else wanted to deal with him. Death and resurrection. Ask one of the lepers that Jesus physically touched. I'm not saying you're a leper, but... <laughs> Lepers had to walk around, and if someone got close to them, they had to start yelling, unclean. Can you imagine having to tell people, stay away from me, don't touch me, I'm unclean. That's who I am? Like, deep inside of me, that's who I am? I'm an unclean person? Don't touch me. And Jesus touched them, physically touched them for the first time. And who knows how long somebody touched them. Death and resurrection. What about the woman who had been hemorrhaging for a long time and also was unclean and couldn't be with her husband and couldn't have anybody around her? And Jesus heals her of that. What about the woman caught in adultery? they literally wanted to kill and bring death to her. And Jesus looks at her and says, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. Death and resurrection. That's who we are. That's what we're about. What if we started recognizing resurrection moments and death moments all the time. And what if Morning Star became us being Morning Star, obviously, started being people of the resurrection in every moment? How would that change our lives individually? How would that change us? But also, how would that change the people around us when we have the opportunity to bring death or resurrection and we choose resurrection every time? When your co worker is having a bad day and you offer them some way of hope. When you see somebody walking down the street that needs some help and you give them the help. When you know someone who's odd and just different and doesn't have any kind of relationships and you offer them relationship. Or how about this one? I promise this. There is going to be a time, it may have already occurred, that I'm going to say something standing here in this spot where all these other preachers have preached over the years. I'm going to say something that you don't like. I'm going to step on your toes. I'm going to offend you. I'm going to say something that you completely disagree with, and it's going to drive you bonkers. Amen. <laughs> it's true. It's going to happen. So in that moment, you have the opportunity to bring death or life. Choose now. Because in the midst of death and in the midst of crisis, it's hard to see how life can be brought to it. But if we make the decision now, I say this to people who are getting married, make the decision now. How it is you're going to deal with death when it comes. Come to me. This is what I'm asking you. Come to me and ask me, why did you have the Wendell Berry poem? Because I'll have a reason. You may not like it, but I'll have a reason. And we have an opportunity to bring resurrection to a place where I have accidentally brought death. Here's the other thing. I can guarantee you, no doubt about it, it hasn't quite happened yet, but it came pretty close a few times, 
that one of you is going to say something to me, or even more hurtfully, about me that I'm going to hear about later, that's going to hurt. And it's going to cause some sort of death within me. Here's my promise to you. I'll talk to you about it. Because I'm committed to resurrection over death. And there's nothing more beautiful than seeing relationships resurrected up out of death. But that's who we are. We're people who are about resurrection. So, this week, your challenge is not to use your AAA to help someone. By the way, anybody do that this last week? Bombs. Man. No, I don't have AAA, so I'm off the hook. Your challenge this week is to bring resurrection and hope intentionally. It's something you have to practice. It's not just going to come naturally to us. We have to be intentional about it. This week, bring resurrection and hope and tell someone about it, not in a braggadocious kind of way, But when I hear stories of resurrection, it gives me encouragement and hope to bring more resurrection. But don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. We have nothing to fear because we are people of the resurrected God. And death does not hold us back and can never hold us back. So, receive this. This week, practice resurrection in every moment of every day. And when you bring death, call it out of the darkness. And when you see light, name it. Lean into the light. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit.